You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Thursday morning in Tuscaloosa. It is time once again for Southern Fried Sports on your home for University of Alabama Athletics Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, brought to you by Peterbrook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa Easter fast approaching they're going to have those outstanding Easter treats available to you they're going to have that large chocolate bunny that is going to be stuffed full of chocolate covered popcorn they're going to have the egg like that for you too there at Peterbrook Chocolatier give them a call 205 205- Seven five two zero two one one. They ship. So if you're listening to the program via internet, and let's say you've got a son or daughter in Tuscaloosa at the University of Alabama, you can give them a call at Peterbrook Chocolatier anytime, and they can deliver for you as well at two zero five seven five two zero two one one. Joined on the program by the executive producer of Southern Fried Sports, Jacob Harrison, and together we combine to form. The 60 bit of boo. Woo! A sports talk radio. Jacob, how are you doing on this Thursday? I'm doing pretty good, man. Good. Good. That pretty much sums it up. Very nice and succinct. And uh, we're glad to hear it. We certainly have a lot to talk about on a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. If you would like to chime in, correct me if I'm wrong here, Jacob. Temp line still. Still working with the temp line. Yes, sir. 205 409 Seven eight seven seven. If you want to jump on board, how about some pitching? How about some pitching on the baseball and softball diamonds over at the University of Alabama yesterday afternoon and into the evening hours? We told you you could pull the double yesterday if you wanted to. You could go hardball softball between the Alabama baseball team and the now fifteen and zero. Alabama softball squad. So wins for both those teams yesterday. Biggest highlight to come out of Alabama's baseball win over in-state foe Troy was the ninth inning catch. The game had already been decided, but what a catch by Andrew Pinckney out in right field. That ended up showing up as the number six play on the Sports Center top ten plays of the day last night. Not sure if you saw that. But, you know, those kind of plays are also good for clubhouse and dugout morale. Kind of keeps the roster connected from top to bottom. Not that Andrew Pinckney won't ultimately end up being a very good player for Alabama. He may end up being, who knows, the next Dustin Moore or one of those former greats that we've seen pass through the capstone. Roberto Vaz. But a hell of a catch by Andrew Pinckney in the ninth. In a 9-1 to game, we get that. But, uh, you know, when you get into SEC play and the playing time opportunities start to dwindle, you're going to need as much of that type of morale and reserve as you can muster. And that's where you like a play by Andrew Pinckney like the one yesterday. Nice job, Andrew. Hell of a catch. Alabama, 9-1 to winners over Troy, as we said. Another leadoff home run for Peyton Wilson. I believe that was his third of the year as far as leadoff homers go. You know, Peyton Wilson, younger brother of John Parker, as we know, Peyton Wilson might end up being the makeup for Jake Mangum. 
and you probably got to be a pretty hardcore baseball person to know where I'm going with that. Jake Mangum, son of John Mangum, former Alabama quarterback, uh, defensive standout. John Mangum, one of the most underrated defensive football players in University of Alabama football history. I'm sure Joe Gaither, Major Domo of Tide 100.9 FM, knows who I'm talking about as a longtime Chicago Bears fan because John Mangum was a really good NFL player as well, really solid NFL player. Primarily, I believe, if not exclusively with the Chicago Bears. Well, Jake Mangum, son of John, a few years back, it looks like Jake's headed to the capstone as a legacy. He's going to come to Alabama. He's going to play baseball from the Jackson, Mississippi era. Area. Well, it doesn't work out that way. Late, Jake makes a decision to flip to in-state Mississippi State. And he goes on to become the SEC's all-time leader in hits, Jake Mangum. If you're an Alabama fan, you know how much pain Jake Mangum brought you over his four years there in Starkville. Maybe Peyton Wilson is going to be the makeup for Jake Mangum. Maybe. Now, look, Jake Mangum more of an average and stolen base guy, a gapper type guy, double sitter. Not much in the way of home run pop. That's where I think there's the biggest difference. Peyton Wilson can go deep from that leadoff spot. But along with Peyton Wilson yesterday, you got home runs from Sam Prater, Zane Denton, a double from Zane Denton. Zane Denton is just mashing it right now. They need to check the size of the baseballs that they're throwing to Zane Denton because they, they seem to be Larger than regulation size. The ball is a little bit larger to Zane Denton right now. Also really good yesterday to see T.J. Reeves in the lineup. You know, he'd been dealing with that hamstring issue, tweaked it over the weekend, wondered about his availability moving forward. He had a double in the win yesterday. Drew Williamson had a double as well. He had six extra base hits in all for Alabama. And eight of Alabama's nine starters had a hit in the game. So good stuff. And then again, the pitching. Connor Shamblin, you got some questions in that midweek and maybe as far as your bullpen in general, but uh, Shamblin's been great in the midweek in his starts. He goes five and a third yesterday, one earned run, six strikeouts. Will Freeman, another veteran, comes in in relief, three and two-thirds, just one hit, no runs, no walks. Here's a stat for you from yesterday. In 16 innings of work, between the Alabama baseball and softball staffs. 16 innings between those two pitching staffs. No walks in their games yesterday. That's what you'll love to see, especially in college baseball. Can get a little rough with the control. But Shamblin, you know, midweek last week, even in that loss to Tennessee Martin, he didn't get a decision for that. Four innings pitch, no runs, two hits. Didn't see any freshman arms yesterday. That may have made a difference as well. And speaking of softball, Montana Fouts, it's interesting because Corey was on the program yesterday and we had the discussion right now. I asked Corey, who did he consider to be Alabama's ace? And I think he was leaning more to Montana Fouts as 1A and Lexi Kilfoyle as 1B. And uh, Montana Fouts was certainly 1A, AA, AAA last night in the circle against Mississippi State. Career-high 16 strikeouts in the shutout of the Bulldogs. And again, that wasn't the, you know, that wasn't like the Cottondale Cottonmouse U9 softball team she was going against. That was a legit offensive club from the SEC in Mississippi State. And so now Alabama softball again, 15-0. Pitching it up, man. Pitching it up here, especially of late. Um... And again, Fouts really, really good. And a team that can run the bases, you know, you like to see a little more run production. I'm sure Murph Murph feels the same way. But with this pitching, you can 2-0 a lot of people. You know, you can one nothing a lot of people. 205-409-7877, that is the number to call. Man, can we have some more of this Tua versus Mac discussion? Oh, it's out there now, isn't it? And every outlet's going to eat it up. I guess it was the NFL Network yesterday that had Jalen Waddle on, the former Alabama wide receiver. This on the heels of the report. I don't think we've still heard it from me. Maybe we've heard it. Have we heard it directly from Devontae Smith at this point, Jacob? I haven't. In terms of his preference where Mac and Tua is concerned, I don't know. That was still a, that was a source thing. Yeah, that was from, a from Albert Bree. Yeah, this was Jalen Waddle straight up on the NFL Network yesterday, and he too sided with Mac 
over Tua. What about Jalen Hurts? Maybe we can get Jalen Hurts in this whole thing. You know? I mean, for Jalen, I guess it would be if we were to flip this thing. How about if we flip this thing, Jacob, and we could ask the quarterbacks, who was your favorite wide receiver of these guys? Now, you, you know what? That would be really fair, <laughs> considering how unfair this entire conversation is exactly. for Tua. <laughs> you know? So, if I could ask Tua... Mac and even maybe Jalen Hurts that que- a question right now. It may be, you know, we're hearing so much about these wide receivers picking their favorite quarterbacks at Alabama. Well, who is your favorite wide receiver? You know, I got to think for Tua, it was Jerry Judy, right? Uh, they were so prolific together. You know, although with Jalen, it's interesting because I think if you look at it statistically, his best year was Tua's first year as the starter in 2018 when Jalen was a true freshman. Um, Didn't have the numbers as much in 2019. And then, of course, the injury shortened a good bit, the 2020 campaign. But, yeah, if you were to pair up the wide receivers, if you're the quarterbacks, if you're Tua, if you're Mack, if you're Jalen Hurts, who was your preferred guy? If we could inject, I don't think that the quarterbacks are smart, though. You know, they're not that Jalen and Devontae aren't. And apparently Devontae thought he was, I think, speaking in confidence there. It may have gotten leaked. Um, But I just don't, it's hard for me to imagine a quarterback coming out and just picking one wide receiver, you know. So I, I don't see that happening. But if we were to inject to a Mac, maybe Jalen with some true serum, how do you think they would go with that? I think again for Tua, it would be Jerry Judy. They uh, they were outstanding together, and then for Mac, I think it's got to be Devontae. You know, Tua is interesting though because his biggest moment, perhaps, well, no, perhaps one of the biggest moments in college football history was with Devontae. But it just seemed like it seemed like Tua and Judy were a thing even before they got here. I want to say even at the opening. Before they got here, they had worked together, maybe out in Oregon. So, you know, some of those roots in some of these situations may go deeper. You know, Mac and Devontae, that would make sense. I mean, just look at this last season, but then also the fact that they too came in together. With Waddle, it's kind of interesting. You know, for Jalen, it might be Calvin Ridley that his that's his guy. You know, through that 2017 season. Hmm. Two zero five four zero nine seven eight seven seven. Go ahead, Jacob. How about Henry Ruggs for Tua? I mean, yeah. it, it might play into the whole meme that everybody liked to to throw <laughs> around with him that he just throws slants that go eighty yards. But I mean, when you got a guy that can take a slant eighty yards, you you like that guy. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And one of the defining moments of Henry Ruggs's career that I'll always remember. Speaking of that route was the one they hit against South Carolina. And sitting in the press box, it was at an angle where Ruggs was running across the field straight at us. And we're up where we can really see everything. And you see the safety coming down, and he's in great shape. And it looked like Indiana Jones running from, like, the ball that's chasing him or something in one of the Indiana Jones movies. And... And he just he left everybody, and it was it was over. And and saw saw that angle with Jerry Judy one year in in Fayetteville. I think that was 2018. Also, same type of route to Jerry, and it was just amazing how on a weekly basis these backside safeties knew they had to get there on that. Not so much to even really make a play of 10 or 12 yards, but just to make sure the thing didn't go 78 or 80, or 85, or 90, and they still, they still could not get there against guys like Ruggs and Judy. Ruggs is a good point. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Maybe we need to get Ruggs in here for a uh, tiebreaker if Jerry Judy won't do it. Maybe. What did you think, Jacob, of the 11 players invited to a combine that's not really a combine this year? I still don't understand what exactly is going on with this combine. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, I don't think it's ever been fully explained. Like, we know that there's not an actual combine, so if it's virtual, how do you believe anything that's actually, like, in front of you? I I, I don't get it. Yeah, it's, I guess, going to be on-campus stuff, you know, entirely, and uh, they're going to have to work it from that angle. I, the list was what I thought it would be if there was a, an actual combine this year. I know, you know, Miller Forstall's a guy that you could maybe make an argument for, but he... It, it, I, I would want Miller Forstall at the Combine if I was an NFL team as much just to check his medical, you know, with everything he went through from an injury perspective. If I thought he might even be a guy that I was going to consider, I, I'd want to see that. So uh, about what you'd expect, though, with the 11 guys, even Thomas Fletcher. We love it when the specialist, when the specialist gets some love, that makes her day here on Southern Fried Sports. So, uh glad to see that hey you had uh we talked with cecil hurt yesterday i know he was headed over to see this game uh calhoun and jd davison the alabama signee in the class 2a semi-final against midfield yesterday didn't see it but sounds like it was a heck of a game 81 77 game in high school that's a great game with no shot clock and J.D. Davison goes for 45 points in his final high school game. And you see stat lines like 45 points for high school kids. And you go, well, how many shots? Because I've seen high school kids score 45 on 45. That's how many shots they needed to get to 45. But just 28 shots. And I think one of those was a desperation three at the, the buzzer at the end of the game. So 18 of 28 from the field, went over from the three. This guy's so dynamic, though, in transition and off the bounce in high school. It's just not as – it hasn't been as big of a deal for him, the three-point shot. He can essentially access the rim whenever he wants. Obviously, that's going to change at least somewhat in the SEC. But 9 of 13 from the free throw line, he had 13 rebounds as well. Next stop, J.D. Davison, University of Alabama. I think NATO's pretty fired up about that. Hey, you've also got SEC hoops last night from last night. Missouri got a much-needed win, didn't they? On the road at the University of Florida. Mississippi State, meanwhile, knocked off Texas A&M in what felt like Texas A&M season opener. That's how long it had been since we had seen Texas A&M hoops on a basketball court. So the final weekend sets up with Mississippi State and Kentucky looking like the participants in the 8-9 game in the SEC tournament coming up. That matters to you as an Alabama fan because obviously Alabama will get the winner of that one in the quarterfinals of the 2021 SEC tournament up there where it should be every year. Every year, Nashville, Tennessee. Limited occupancy up there at Bridgestone Arena. You also have the women's tournament underway over in Greenville. We mentioned that yesterday. Alabama taking on Missouri today in a 7-10 game. Winner advances to the quarterfinals where South Carolina, the two-seed, awaits. But a good matchup, I think, for Alabama today. I think this is a game Alabama wins in Greenville. I think Alabama women's basketball is already in the NCAA tournament. Uh, But this will help solidify that coming up later this afternoon. 5 o'clock tip-off on the SEC Network. Going to head to our first break. We're going to talk some college football in depth with Chris Hummer. Steve Sarkeesian out there in Austin. Has he walked into a hornet's nest? Hornet's nest, as my late grandfather used to call it. Uh, It may be that Eyes of Texas song. That situation's not going away anytime soon. Chris Hummer stationed right there in Austin, Texas. We'll get his thoughts on that. And a whole lot more when Southern Fried Sports returns right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. This is Crimson Tide Today. It's a daily update on Bama sports and it's brought to you by Sun South John Deere, the preferred tractor equipment for Alabama athletics. Visit sunsouth.com or any of their 21 locations across the southeast. Hello again, everybody. I'm Roger Hoover. Postseason play begins Thursday in Greenville, South Carolina for the Crimson Tide as it is slated to take on the Missouri Tigers in the second round of the 2021 SEC Women's Basketball Tournament. The game will tip at 5 p.m. Central in Bon Secours, 
Wellness Arena, with radio coverage starting at 4.55 p.m. Central across the network. Alabama heads into postseason play at 15-8 overall and finish the Southeastern Conference portion of the schedule at 8-8. The Tide recorded back-to-back eight-win seasons in conference play for the first time since 1997-1998. The Crimson Tide defeated Missouri and Columbia 74-59 to begin SEC play back on December 31st. I'll have more in a moment. Have you priced a new John Deere tractor lately? SunSouth John Deere has a full line of affordable lawn and tractor equipment this season. SunSouth John Deere has an affordable roster for everyone, from riding mowers to utility vehicles and lots of tractors. Stop by any of the 21 locations across Alabama, Mississippi, and Georgia, or visit sunsouth.com to find out what is right for you. Any budget, any project, SunSouth has you covered. Proud to be the preferred tractor equipment dealer of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Join us Thursday afternoon for Crimson Drive, presented by Regions Bank on the CTSN Facebook page. Streaming live at 2 p.m. Central, we'll have conversations with women's basketball head coach Christy Curry and SEC Network basketball analyst Dane Bradshaw, plus comments from Nate Oates and Patrick Murphy. That's Crimson Drive, presented by Regions Bank, this afternoon at 2 p.m. Central on the CTSN Facebook page. That's your BAM update. Crimson Tide Today, brought to you by Sun South John Deere. Crimson Tide Today is a production of the Crimson Crimson Tide Sports Network. What a beautiful day today. Nothing but sunshine. The high in the low 70s, 72. Clear tonight, the low at 42. Tomorrow we start the day off with morning sunshine. Clouds will increase by afternoon. Maybe a touch of scattered light rain tomorrow night, the high 68. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 65 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. The Crimson Tide will not be denied. edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. And we're going to head out to the Lone Star State to check in with 247sports.com National College Football Writer Chris Summer, a good friend of the program. I got to start with this, Chris Summer. Baker Mayfield, quarterback for the Cleveland Browns tweets out, I guess it was this morning, that he and his wife out there in your area saw a UFO last night. Uh, can you confirm or deny these uh, these UFO reports out there around Lake Travis area, I guess? I think I have to go no comment on that. That's, <laughs> that's dangerous information if it gets out. But people like to keep Austin weird around here. And uh, what would be weirder than a UFO? Wow, it's been a tough stretch for Austin, man. Between the weather and now you've got uh, ET apparently landing somewhere out there in your neighborhood. Um, it's been, in all seriousness, are you guys thawing out at this point? I mean, how is how is life in that area these days? A lot better than it was two weeks ago. Uh, most of us were without power for a significant amount of time, and I think everybody's back up. And most people in the city have running water, and it's 70 degrees today, so it could be a lot worse. There you go. Something that isn't thawing out or cooling down, it doesn't seem, Chris, is this Eyes of Texas song and the situation. And uh, we've seen reports here in the last few days that prominent boosters now are – I guess emailing the school president and letting him know that, what, of 300 emails, I guess, they've received objecting to the potential of pulling the song from part of the the post-game tradition there for University of Texas football that I guess a quarter of them have threatened to withdraw significant contributions. And when we're talking about the University of Texas and significant we know those numbers can be unlike anywhere else in college football. What what has Steve Sarkeesian inherited here? I, I know his response. He's been pretty adamant about keeping the tradition in place. Yeah, he's 
just walking into a bit of a, uh, like he walked into a hornet's nest, essentially. Um, he got that question right away um, at his opening press conference. It was probably, I think the fifth or sixth question he received was whether, um, how he would handle the eyes of Texas. And he said, the eyes of Texas is Texas's school song. And I think essentially expects his players to stand for it. And that's kind of on the party line for how the boosters feel. But um, as you said, uh, the Texas Tribune did some reporting on that. I had similar reporting in December. Uh, there were million-dollar donations threatened to be pulled. Uh, there were very upset people. The president and the athletic director of the school got well over 500 emails mentioning the eyes. And I, I received about 100 of those personally through an open records request. And I think only one of the emails was supportive of how the athletes felt about the school song. The most, most of them uh, were criticizing the athletes and how they handled the situation. And for the athletes themselves, it's a really sensitive subject. Um, the song uh, has some interesting origins. Uh, it was first played in a minstrel show where the participants were likely in blackface. And it's a issue that's hit home for a lot of the student athletes on the football team and around campus. And, those two things and those two parties kind of clashing is not going to end anytime soon. And Steve Sarkeesian is going to have to deal with it. Uh, the university is supposed to put out a historical report on the song next week, kind of chronicling the true uh, origins of the eyes of Texas. And I think that's only going to raise the subject again. So it's, it's something Steve Sarkeesian is certainly going to have to handle uh, next weekend for probably the rest of the season until we get a more permanent resolution. There doesn't seem to be a clear-cut path for Sark to win in this situation. So which avenue do you believe he's most likely to take, and will it, will it allow him to, to coach this team in a way in which it can reach its full potential? Well, I mean, there's two avenues you could take. You could – side with your players come out publicly which is closer to what tom herman did um tom herman was very outspoken last summer kind of as the george floyd protests were ratcheting up across the country about his student athletes their rights and kind of their right to protest the right to express their views um ultimately tom herman a big reason he was fired outside of what happened on the field was he lost the support of a lot of the boosters i mean some of that was already happening before, but he didn't really have any backing largely because of how he handled the eyes of Texas uh, kind of controversy, specifically against Oklahoma, where only Sam Ellinger was pictured uh, with his horns up kind of as the school song was playing and everybody else had walked off the field. Um, so Steve Sarkeesian could take that route, which is a risk, but if you win, it probably kind of mitigates that a little bit. Or you could side with the boosters, which is kind of what he did outspoke uh, out out front kind of his initial press conference and keep the BBs in the BB box as Mac Brown used to say around here and try to assuage his players privately kind of in the background. And yeah, you're right. There's, there's really no winning answer there for Steve Sarkeesian. I guess winning itself is the answer, right? I mean, let's be honest. If you win enough games, uh, regardless of the approach you take, uh, you're, you're probably going to be okay. That, that, that was Tom Herman's problem as much as anything. And, and understanding how you handle situations like this very much impact not only the team dynamic, but also your ability to maybe recruit. And from that perspective, at least early on, what are we seeing from Sark and this new staff on the recruiting trail? I know they had a nice hit at the quarterback position, but that was a quarterback in Malik Murphy from the, the state of California. What, what are you seeing early on from a recruiting perspective with Sark? Yeah, interesting move by Starkeesian to go after Malik Murphy, kind of making a statement there, especially when there was a quarterback right in his backyard in Cole Klubinek, who I think would have been happy to commit to Texas if given the opportunity. Um, Austin Westlake, same school that produced Drew Brees, Nick Foles, Sam Ellinger. Um, he's now headed to Clemson. But I think the early returns are great uh, for the fans and kind of the people who are on the program. Uh, they're on a recruiting year. I think Texas's class is ranked number four in the country for 2022. They have, I think, four or five of the top recruits in Texas kind of in the boat thus far, kind of those top 247 guys that we consider the best of the best. And uh, there's a lot of momentum on the recruiting trail for both Texas and, frankly, Texas A&M right now. 
Um, Sarkeesian's kind of leaning on that new hope vibe. He has a staff full of superstar recruiters, many of which Alabama fans are familiar with, and uh, it's paying dividends so far. But as you mentioned earlier, winning, curing all, um, the season has to happen, and if Texas is not better, I think you're going to see some of those returns recede a little bit because Texas needs to show progress, and it does have a roster capable of at least competing right away. And you talk about Cade Klubnik and these top five pro-style passers for the 2022 class that I'm looking at. This according to the 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings. And talked about this a little bit in the last week or so because Alabama got a commitment from the number three pro-style quarterback prospect for 2022 in Ty Simpson. And these are pro-style quarterback prospects, not dual threats. And you look at Walker Howard who is committed to LSU from Lafayette, Louisiana. He's number two on the list behind Quinn Ewers, another Texas quarterback who is headed to Ohio State. Ty Simpson at three, Malik Murphy at four, uh, Klubnik at five. Klubnik, Ty Simpson, and Walker Howard, none of those three are listed at 6'3 or, or taller. They're all under six foot three. Uh, I guess that just tells you how much the quarterback position has changed, even when we're talking about guys who are designated as pro-style quarterbacks, Chris. Yeah, I think the way we evaluate quarterbacks, not just the 24-7 sports, but quarterback coaches, the NFL, has really shifted. I think people like Kyler Murray have made it easier for shorter quarterbacks to succeed for sure. Like It's easier to take a chance on them. But I think generally as, a kind of football following community things like accuracy the ability to play out of structure and diagnosing the field kind of those traits that are a little harder to teach um are being prized more by recruiters and staff than something like a kind of a nine or a ten arm or um a six foot six frame that allows you to see over the offensive line which is which is frankly not as important anymore anyway because so infrequently are we seeing a quarterback take a five and a seven step drop kind of hanging in the pocket without moving around kind of in these systems. And I just think the things in modern offenses that are prized in quarterbacks are the things I talked about a second ago, like accuracy, the ability to get the ball out quickly, the ability to see the field, to make quick reads, to make things happen off schedule. And those guys like Kate Klubnick and Ty Simpson have those things in common, despite the fact that they're six foot three, and that's going to allow them to have plenty of success on the college level, if not the NFL level as well. I think I think if you look at the top returning quarterbacks in college football this year, I'm not counting DJ Uyongalele, who is the prototypical pro-style quarterback, but um, if you look at Sam Howell, Keaton Slovis, Jaden Daniels, none of those guys have your t- prototypical kind of pro-style frame, but I would argue those are probably three of the five best returning stars in college football, and it's just the way the sport shifted. We're all about Texas on the program today, so we're going to stick with Chris Sims, the former Texas quarterback, (laughs) now of NBC Sports and uh, Pro Football Talk. And Chris made some waves yesterday when he came out with his top six quarterbacks for the upcoming 2021 NFL draft, and it wasn't Trevor Lawrence at the top of Chris's list. He had Zach Wilson of BYU at number one, Trevor Lawrence at two, Mac Jones at number three, Kellen Mond. How about that? Speaking of what? Texas quarterbacks. At number four, Justin Fields at five, and Trey Lance of North Dakota State at six. How does that ranking strike you, Chris? Uh, it strikes me as a little odd. I, I, You know, I grew up watching Chris Sims playing Texas football. I actually give him credit. He's always kind of been an outside-the-box thinker. He's uh-huh. comfortable, I think, playing the villain role a little bit, and that list kind of kind of strikes me as that it's the uh guy trying to be a contrarian a little bit i i think anybody who doesn't have trevor lawrence as the number one overall quarterback in this class is fooling themselves maybe zach wilson especially with that off schedule stuff we talked about the ability to throw from different arm slots the ability to kind of create something out of nothing i understand he has that in spades but trevor lawrence is in my opinion the safest bet at quarterback since andrew luck in a long time maybe he's not the best quarterback of all time Maybe he's not Tom Brady, but I feel very comfortable saying Trevor Lawrence will be a pro bowler five or six times in his career at a minimum, and his the team that will draft him will be very successful for the next 10 to 15 years. He's that good. Zach Wilson, I understand that people are comparing him to Patrick Mahomes. I think 
He's getting a little bit of that buzz, but he's a lot smaller. His level of competition at BYU wasn't as good. I think you have questions about his frame. You have questions about his arm a little bit. Like, it's not as strong as Patrick. And I, I just think uh, he's trying to be a bit of a contrarian there, Chris Simpson. Kellen Mond at four, that's that's something. I, I think I'm higher on Kellen Mond than most people. Like, I know Kellen and his family pretty well. I think he has a chance with a little more development and a system that fits him well to be a really good NFL quarterback. But to have him as the fourth best quarterback in this draft class is uh, is really aggressive, in my opinion, for sure. I think Chris Sims saw the good Kellen Mond in the cutups because when you just put his best stuff on a tape and run it from start to finish, it is. I mean, it's it's hella impressive. I mean, you talk about some of the the most NFL like throws you'll see in this class. Kellen Mond's capable of those just in terms of, of, of making it spin. But, um, you know, I think it's a smart list because nobody remembers these lists in a year. I guess cold takes exposed might hit him up on this one down the road at some <laughs> point. But Zach Wilson has that sort of boom capability. And if he ends up booming, uh, it looks great. If it if it doesn't, then nobody really remembers. There's been a little bit of a dust will, up. Go ahead. I would say I think – uh, I think Chris Sims had Josh Allen as his top overall quarterback three years ago, yeah. kind of in that class with uh, Sam Darnold and crew. So, I mean, you're better. right. Josh Allen was the ultimate boomer bust guy, and I think Zach Wilson fits into that category. Yeah. He looks he looks good because of it now. So maybe he'll have another opportunity to do that here. Dynamic, twitchy, all those things. Going to make some big plays. Yeah, but I, I just think dynamic and twitchy is exactly how you describe Josh Allen. I'm not sure if Zach Wilson has quite as uh, good a traits there but we'll see yeah yeah hey um it's been interesting of late it seems like the opinion of former alabama wide receivers in relation to tua and mac has been a hot topic so i'm gonna ask you chris hummer mac or tua okay first like i didn't see this quote <laughs> from jalen who did he say or did he hedge waddle didn't hedge um waddle we actually saw on i believe it was the nfl network say himself that he would take Mac. We we read in a report that in a meeting with a team, with a club, Devontae Smith wasn't hesitant about going with Mac over Tua. So that's what we have to work on so far when it comes to those uh, those comments. That's interesting. I think I, I do wonder about Tua post-injury. I, speaking of like twitchiness and the ability to move, I just didn't think he looked the same with the Dolphins. And if that's the case, and if two is limited from a mobility standpoint, I I might lean Mac too. I think Mac's biggest hurdle is he's not particularly mobile, but if you put him in the right system, we saw last year, he's supremely accurate with the football. We all know how well he diagnoses kind of plays. He is one of those people who sees things before they happen. Uh, a lot of his throws last year were anticipatory, anticipatory, so I understand that, but maybe I just can't shake what I saw from Tua from the recruiting circuit on at Alabama. I know Mac was so good last year, but I have a hard time moving away from Tua at least at this point. But if those two guys are saying it, like I don't, I don't really know how you can debate that. I just think that's the feeling when it comes to Mac across the board, and I'm talking about the fan base. Even I mean, we all love the underdog too, right? And Mac does have the benefit of that. You know, it's more of a sentimental story. You know, Tua was the guy coming in in that class. Mac was sort of the the runt of the litter, so to speak. And you know, literally he is, uh, based on his uh, frame yeah, in high school, honestly. Exactly. And then he is the one who goes out in the blaze of glory. Let's face it, Mac Jones's final year at Alabama was what we all sort of expected Tua's to be, and it ends up being Mac. And it was a season for all time, both individually and. Uh, in terms of his team accomplishment. So, uh, yeah, I get it. You know, I get why my folks would – Mac picked the perfect time to leave, too. I mean, to leave on a 13-0 and 0 and, uh, you know, a, a record season, record-setting season like he did, you know, and, and uh, to make that jump now. His, not that his legacy, you know, would have been in danger had he returned. Uh, it was cemented for the most part, but it, it's, it's only, it's only going to heighten. You know, it's kind of like leaving at this point. It's kind of like the 27 club for a just absolutely morbid analogy when it comes to rock and roll music. But, um, you yeah, know. I don't think he could have asked for a better situation. He had probably the best offensive line in college football. 
the best pair of receivers in college football, the best running back in college football. And give him credit, he made everything work. But I don't think that situation would have repeated itself in 2021, for no. sure. Like, he is, he caught lightning in a bottle, and he took advantage of it. Yep, and he was great. There's no doubt about it. Well, Chris, you're always great here with us on Southern Fried Sports, and we absolutely appreciate it. Look forward to doing it again soon. Watch out for those UFOs out there. I'm getting my telescope out soon, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on the hunt. So <laughs> Look for uh, some breaking news out of me this weekend. Oh, man. Get some footage, man, CNN and all the news outlets, you know, Fox. They'll all write the big checks if you get that exclusive, <laughs> exclusive footage, I'll Chris. TMZ first. There you go. Oh, TMZ, absolutely. TMZ will have it before anybody. All right, thanks, Chris. All right, thanks so much. There he goes, Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. Back with more of Southern Fried Sports on a Thursday, presented by Peter Brook Chocolatier, right after this. What a beautiful day today. Nothing but sunshine. The high in the low 70s, 72. Clear tonight, the low at 42. Tomorrow we start the day off with morning sunshine. Clouds will increase by afternoon. Maybe a touch of scattered light rain tomorrow night, the high 68. I'm James Spann of the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 66 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. many pretty boys but that guy probably qualifies as one Evan Dando lead singer front man for the Lemonheads yes you remember him if you're old enough back in the 90s Evan Dando turns 54 today that one hits home that one hits home Evan Dando I saw this on social media a couple days ago left his wallet at a drugstore and they contacted him and told him they had it. So when he came back to pick it up, he actually had his acoustic guitar and right there in like aisle five of the drugstore performed a impromptu concert for the employees of said drugstore. Pretty cool. Evan Dando, 54 years old today. We celebrate with the playlist theme of the day. Hey, we were talking about this during the break, Jacob and myself. Tough off season for poor Tua, man. It's like, does he know for sure he's going to be in Miami for the 2021 season with all this Deshaun Watson talk and now Russell Wilson potentially? And then he's got his old wide receivers picking Mac Jones over him. You know, and to be fair to like Jalen Waddle and especially Devontae Smith, because again, Devontae, it sounds like, thought he was speaking in confidence, you know, in, 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 in a in a situation that was private. Jalen was more just right out there with it yesterday on the NFL Network. I don't think it's so much a, a thing where his teammates don't like him or respect him. It's just a lot of love for Mac Jones, man. People love some Mac 10. And so uh, tough for Tua. Don't think a lot of it's fair in terms of how he's being – perceived more so as a quarterback going into his second year in the NFL. This other stuff, it's off-season stuff. That's what you get. But as far as how he's already being discounted as an NFL quarterback, I guess I watched a different Dolphin team last year, Jacob, than everybody else when I saw the Dolphins. I thought I saw like three rookie offensive linemen protecting him, and then his best option as a receiver being Gasecki, the tight end. I thought that's what I saw. I don't know. I think I caught the same stream as yours, and <laughs> I also seem to have noticed that he had no running backs. His number one right. wide receiver was hurt. And, you know, all the comparisons to the other two rookie quarterbacks, those two guys had, you know, veteran sure. all-pro wide receivers as number one option. So I don't I don't know what <laughs> what everybody I else I saw see, either. Yeah. 
you know, some of those feeds can be pirated on Sundays. You got to be careful. So you don't know, maybe they're altered, but um, yeah, I, I don't think I saw the same team as some other people, I guess, same offense around to it. Hey, let's head to the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line right now and check in with Corey on a Thursday. Corey, how you doing? Hey, Travis, how you doing this afternoon? Hanging in there. It's gorgeous, man. Absolutely beautiful, isn't it? It is. And uh, I tell you what, Montana Fowl sure was uh, <laughs> winning with a dealing last night, wasn't she? I thought we might hear from you after the discussion we had yesterday. And look, I still think it's a great question, and I still think it's a great situation. It's not a problem. It's not a problem when you've got two pitchers at the top of your rotation like Murph has in Fouts and Kilfoyle, but absolutely. It's almost as if Montana heard me yesterday and then went out there and just absolutely mowed an SEC. I know that like I said earlier in the show, that wasn't the Cottondale Cotton Mouse of U nine softball she was out there against last night. That's a as you talked about yesterday, that's a solid offensive club. And you know, she throws a complete game four hitter with sixteen strikeouts. No walks either. That's what I like. No walks. Oh yeah, and uh the the top of the lineup is really what the dangerous part was and they did nothing yesterday and uh I was at first when when I saw the lineup come out I was like I I thought maybe he would save fouts for the weekend, but he said, Nope, you're not doing anything against our pitching staff tonight. And uh, that's what happened. And uh, Alabama had just enough runs to win. And let me ask you this. Do you think the offense will come around, or do you think there is a legitimate concern of the offense, in your opinion? I think it has to. Um, You know, the way it's set up right now, trying to protect – Hempville is 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 kind of tough, and and Bailey Dowling's a, saw, a freshman, and she's done some really good things early on, and she's gonna do some great things. And she had one of the two RBI or one of the three RBI in the game last night. Uh, but you know, with Bailey sitting there in between Tao and Dowling, uh, you know Bailey gets walked a couple of times. There, there's ways that pitching staffs are gonna continue to approach this lineup, um, and and that's why. Uh, you know, you need Tao to stay as hot as she's been. Not so much last night, but she's been exceptional, as we know. And uh, I think Dowling right there in the middle of that lineup is going to continue to be key because I think they're going to get Mac on base. And at the bottom, they're going to get uh, Alyssa Brown when she's down there in the nine spot on base. Uh, but it's going to continue to come back around to four, five, six. You know what I'm saying? With Dowling, if it's Maddie Morgan, Claire Jenkins. You know, that's where they're going to have to get some production right there once you get through Mac, Tau, and Hempel. Yeah, and once KB Sides comes back in. That's big. Johnson, yeah. Once they come back in the picture, the lineup will be at full strength. And Because uh, yep. what you'll be able to do is you'll put KB Sides back at the top and then uh, Mac, Mac and two. then, then uh, right. uh, Hempel no and Tau and Dowling. And, and you'll everybody will be back in the lineup in the correct spot, and then you have Brown at the bottom, and then everything will be back in, back in order, and the lineup will be even more scarier. And then with this pitching staff, you know, speaking, speaking of pitching staff, Saturday is uh, uh, Sarah Cornell Senior Day, so we'll see her Saturday and, um, against Northern Iowa. So uh, looking forward, forward to what she'll do, and uh, – I th- Alabama should go five and zero in this tournament, but uh, this will be an interesting uh, weekend. But uh, I think let me ask you this: Do you would you agree nationally? There's a top four that is separated from each other, as like UCLA, Oklahoma, Alabama, and uh, Arizona. There's a four that have separated themselves. That would certainly sound uh, sensible. To me, I mean, you're talking about kind of like in college football, right? When you just list off those four programs, Arizona's made a resurgence, uh, but is a traditional power. Uh, that would sound like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and a you know take a pick from a Notre Dame, Georgia, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that would sound that would sound right to me. Have you seen what Oklahoma's done offensively this year? 
Well, that was the thing. You know, we, we talked so much about how Alabama was getting players back and how that was going to benefit them. Well, the thing was, everybody was getting everybody back, especially in a sport like softball where, let's be honest, the allure of the pro game isn't there. There's far more value to a softball player to stay in school as long as she can. Look, I'd rather play softball, right, for Oklahoma or Alabama in the Women's Professional League. Uh, You know, no offense. I'm glad there's at least some opportunity for the women who want to do that. But I don't know if there's a bigger drop-off in pro sports from high-level Power 5 softball to professional softball. I don't know about you, Corey, but I I, I can't think of another sport where there's maybe as big a drop-off. Well, I know the ultimate goal for those ladies is to one day play in the Olympics, but there's only a very small percentage that really do that. And as far as the collegiate sport, the the ultimate common goal is to make it to Oklahoma City, but only eight teams get to go, and only one champion will be crowned, but Really but it's the day-to-day conditions. For- the day-to-day conditions for a softball player at a place like Oklahoma or Alabama is far better. The The quality of life, even, as compared to playing professional softball somewhere else. Hey, Corey, we got to get out of here. We're right at the top. But, hey, always great stuff. Always enjoy the call. Good, good talk to you, Travis. There he goes. Corey checking in on a Thursday. Yeah, I've said it many times before. If I'm a softball player, at a place like Alabama or Oklahoma or if I'm a women's basketball player even, even with the WNBA, if I'm a women's basketball player, I would stay in school at a place like UConn in women's basketball, Baylor, South Carolina. They'd have to ask me to leave. I'd probably be the same way in football at Alabama with the way it's set up these days. I know we talk about compensating athletes, but the investment into student athletes at places like the aforementioned Kind of hard to beat. That's going to do it for a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Thanks to Chris Hummer for checking in with us today. Jacob Harrison always producing the show, doing a great job. Lunch Whistle on a Thursday. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa. Always got those nightly specials. It's ladies' night at Heat Heat Pizza Bar, and the feeling is right. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Until 11 a.m. on Friday. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. 